We're going to start a new sermon series this morning called Three Days of Grace. Uh, we just wrapped up our deep work sermon series. And, um, and, I, and I said this last week, but I believe that God had us strategically praying. We'd been praying for, for, uh, th- and fasting for three weeks for 21 days that led into this um, pandemic. And I believe God had positioned us as a church to be able to have faith in the middle of this and to be able to encourage others. So I want to thank everyone that has done that. But Easter is right around the corner and uh, I'm excited about Easter. I'm excited about Easter. So we're making plans to do multiple things on Easter. If we're allowed to have church, we'll have church. If, uh, if not, we'll have church online, but it'll be a special Easter nonetheless. So today I want to read to you from Matthew chapter 26. Three days of grace. We're going to cover grace for different seasons of our life or of our lives uh, through times like this. And, um, and we're covering the, the arrest of Jesus. We're covering uh, the crucifixion of Jesus. And we're going to look into the resurrection of Jesus. So we're going to start in Matthew chapter 6 verse 40. We're going to read through verse 56. Look at the person sitting beside you in your house and say, are you ready? Verse 40. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, so you, you could not watch with me one hour, watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went and prayed for the third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, sleep and take your rest later. See, the hour is at hand and the son of man is betrayed to the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. While he was speaking, Judas came, one of the 12, with him a great crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had given them a sign saying, the one I kiss is the man, seize him. And he came up to Jesus at once and said, greetings, rabbi. And he kissed him. And Jesus said to him, friend, do what you came to do. Then he came up and laid hands on Jesus and seized him. And behold, one of those who were with Jesus stretched out his hand and drew a sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. Then Jesus said to him, put away your, put your sword back into its place for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? That hour, Jesus said to the crowds, have you come out against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me. Day after day, I sat in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place as the scripture of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Father, we thank you for your word today. God, we pray this every Sunday. We know your word has the power to change us. Not just Not just small tweaks, Lord, but it has the power to to revolutionize how we we think, how our hearts respond. 
Lord, it has the power to change us internally. And we pray today that today would be no different, whether we're sitting in our living room or at work or wherever we are. God, we pray that because we looked into your word today, it would renew our minds and you would change us. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your faithfulness in the midst of chaos. We pray, Lord, that on the other side of this, we'd be stronger because we trusted you. Thank you for your goodness to us today. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. And everyone watching said, amen. I want to give you a little back, a, a little little history, not, not really history, but a, 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 a clarification of the setting of what's going on here. Many of you might not realize everything that's taking place. So we have the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We have the, uh, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, or what they call the synoptic gospels. When you put all, all four of those books together, you get a picture of the story of Jesus's life. And, and what happens is the arrest of Jesus is no different. You get a, a vivid picture of how Jesus was arrested. So Jesus had gathered the disciples that night to have what we commonly call now the Last Supper. Some of you might remember it's where we get, it's where we get the tradition of communion. It's where we get the, uh, the whole idea of communion together is when Jesus broke the bread and gave thanks at that meal and where he took the cup and blessed it at that meal. And he washed the disciples' feet at that meal. The Bible says that after they were done eating, Judas had left already. And we know that Judas had left to organize the betrayal of Jesus. He had accepted money uh, to turn Jesus over and and they were going to finalize the, the last details of how it was going to happen. Now it's, it's at night. And if you look previous to this, you find out that Jesus was teaching in the temple this week and then going out to the Mount of Olives of the Garden of Gethsemane and, and sleeping there. And so this night was no different. He was leaving the dinner and the disciples followed him. They go eastward down through the Kidron Valley up onto the Mount of Olives. The Kidron Valley is really a, a dry riverbed most of the year. So he goes down through there up to the Mount of Olives and they go into the Garden of Gethsemane. Now it's pitch black. We know he was arrested in the middle of the night. It's pitch black. He goes to the Garden of Gethsemane where it's, it's not a, it's not a, a Western style garden with flowers and trimmed bushes. It's a, it's a olive grove. So he goes into what they call the garden of Gethsemane and he goes in and he tells the disciples to wait, but he takes Peter, James, and John in a little farther with him and he asks them to pray. Would you keep watch with me? And it says he went, he goes just a little bit farther away from them and he bows down for the first time and he says, father, if it's even possible, let this cup pass for me. If not, if not, your will be done. So then he goes back and checks on Peter, James, and John. They're sound asleep. He wakes them. He repeats this agonizing process three times. He prays to the Father three times. Could this cup possibly pass for me? If not, your will be done, not mine. He goes for the last time back to Peter, James, and John, and he asks them. He's, he finds them sleeping again, and he wakes them up. Only I believe this time it's a little more, it, it's not the gentle awakening. It's the, hey, 
get up, you can sleep later. They're coming. Now we find out, putting all the gospels together, there's an attachment of Roman guards coming with the leadership, with the Jewish leadership. And it could have been five to 600 men. And they would have been carrying lanterns and torches and, and, and trying to get a, a bearing of where they were going and, and, and how, to, how to find Jesus. This wasn't, they weren't flying a helicopter over an olive grove, shining a big spotlight down. They would have had to search. Now they had an advantage because Judas was with them. Some scholars believe they probably stopped back at the house where they had the last supper. And not finding him there, Judas probably looked at him and said, hey, I know, I know where he spends the night. It's up on the Mount of Olives in an olive grove. Let's go up there and see if he's there. So Jesus wakes Peter, James, and John up and he says, hey, listen, they're here. They're here. It's time for you to get up. You can sleep later. He turns and there's some details that John adds in that you don't see in the synoptic gospels. You don't see Matthew, Mark, and Luke. You see some details that John adds in there. He grabs the disciples, they turn and they realize, you can imagine that many men, how much noise it was making. You can imagine the light that was being put off by the lanterns and torches. You can imagine the shocking size of, of Roman guards coming to arrest a humble, kind man like Jesus. John records that Jesus goes out and says, who are you looking for? And they say, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am he. And when he says that, John's the only one that records this, it says they all stumble back and fall to the ground. It was a, it was a some scholars believe it was a, it was a sign, it was, a, it was a, a, a display of the power when Jesus said, I am. And you could go all the way back to the Old Testament and you hear, you hear the words repeated to Moses when Moses says, who, who do I tell him that sent me? And, and he says, tell him I am sent you. And so Jesus says that in the garden according to John and then, and then Judas comes up and kisses him to seal the deal. Jesus actually asked the second time, according to John, who is it, who is it that you come for? And, and they say again, Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, so let these other men go. Now in the midst of all this chaos, you can imagine the disciples being rustled up from a sleep and you can imagine them experiencing the sheer mass of people coming in the, in the noise and the ruckus. You can imagine their hearts, their, their heartbeats uh, on high. You can imagine uh, their stomachs up in their throat. You can imagine them thinking, oh my, like this can't be happening. Even though Jesus had told them over and over and over again, I'll be turned over, punished and killed. But whoever would have thought it would have happened this way? So in the middle of this ruckus, John records and some of the others record that, that Peter takes out, they call it a sword. It was probably more like a dagger and, and not having been really trained in the way to use it. It says he takes a swipe at the high priest servant, Malchus, and ends up cutting off a piece of his ear. 
We know that Jesus rebukes him for it. He says, hey, you can't. If you live by the sword, you're going to die by the sword. You can't, you can't be acting this way. And it says that Jesus touches his ear and makes him whole. All this is happening one right after another, just chaos. You can imagine pushing and shoving and trying to figure out what's going to happen. But Matthew records right at the end that all the disciples run. Mark actually recorded that there was a young man there just with his outer linen uh, robe on. And it says one of the guards grabbed him and he runs out of the robe naked. The scholars believe it was probably Mark writing about himself to make sure everybody knew he was there on the scene and was an eyewitness of what happened. You got to be pretty scared to run out of your clothes. So I said all that to lay the to lay the foundation for, for what we're talking about today, that there's a grace for running. There's a grace for running. You know, something I found out in my life, fear is a real thing. Fear is not a fake emotion. Fear is not, fear is not uh, something that, that people just don't experience. Well, I'm tough. I don't experience fear. Matter of fact, if you talk to some of the most courageous people on the planet, it wasn't that they didn't experience fear. It was that they knew how to control it when they did experience it. It wasn't that they were so brave that they could just walk into a difficult situation. And go, no, I'm not even scared at all. No, nothing bothers me. I have no emotions. No, it wasn't that. It's that under the pressure of fear in their lives, they knew what to do. They knew how to control it so, so it didn't control them, so it wasn't overwhelming. And so I want to let you know today that fear is a real thing. That, that, can I get on my soapbox a little bit? I get up on my soapbox. One of the things that I don't like happening currently is that we're dismissing people's fear, just telling them to replace it with faith. And people, and people are saying, well, I'm, I'm, I'm scared about what's going to happen. He said, oh, if you, had, if you just had faith. I believe you can have faith and fear at the same time. You just have to decide which one is going to control you. There's a, there's a ton of circumstances in my life that I walk into full of faith with fear in my stomach, but I've determined by the grace of God that fear won't control, even though it's there, even though when I walk into the circumstance, you come on, you know what it feels like you've got butterflies in your stomach, your heart's racing, you're sweating and, and everybody knows you're a little fearful, but you still keep going. It's not denying the fear in me. It's just, it's just relinquishing control, not to fear, but to the Holy Spirit, to faith. So fear is a real thing. It's not, it's not just like, don't fear, have faith, don't fear, have faith, don't fear, have faith. Because when we say things like that without an explanation, well, well something must be wrong with me. This person's full of faith and doesn't act like they're scared. No, here's the truth of the matter. They're full of faith, but there's still a little fear in the stomach. We don't become unemotional because of faith. We just don't let you just don't let emotions totally control you and overwhelm you. It's totally different. I believe Jesus's stomach was an absolute knot. It says he went and prayed in agony of what was coming, but he wasn't controlled by it. If we're controlled by fear, we say, "Father, I can't do this." 
There's no way I can do this. I can't do it. You've got to figure out something else. But Jesus three times asked not to have to do that, but then decided faith was going to control him, not fear. And he said, but not my will, yours be done. And that's the difference. It's not that faith isn't present. It's not that fear isn't present in our lives. It's that it doesn't control us. So the Bible doesn't tell us that we will never fear. It tells us when we're afraid what to do. So it's, it's not a situation where we receive the Holy Spirit and immediately everything becomes easy. It's like, how do you get through? I got the Holy Spirit. Nothing bothers me. Everything's easy. My marriage got easy. My kids got easy. Come on, if you got kids and you got the Holy Spirit, you know that still ain't easy. So it's not that it becomes easy or less fearful. It's that when the Holy Spirit comes in us, we're not controlled by the fear. Fear's a natural emotion that we are directed not to allow to rule our lives. We've talked about this over the last four weeks or so. Paul encourages Timothy in his second letter to him. And he says, for this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. So he said, you're full of the Holy Spirit. Fan that into a flame. Let that control you more than fear. For God did not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. So he's telling Timothy, look, I know you have the tendency to be timid and fearful. I know that's your tendency. I know you have a natural tendency to let fear invade your life. I, I realize that. But fan into flame the faith that God gave you through the power of the Holy Spirit. When I laid hands on you and God filled you with the Holy Spirit, fan that into flame. Because what happens is Paul is not telling him that he won't have fearful situations further down the road into his life. He's telling him that the Spirit of God will give you control over that fear. You'll have power, love, and a sound mind. Lord, I am scared to death right now, but your word says. Lord, I'm scared to death right now, but, but I know you've empowered me to overcome this. Can I, can I just, a little side note, it's okay to tell God that you're afraid. Amen? It's okay to tell God when you're afraid. It's not okay that when he tells you, peace be with you, I will be with you always to tell him, no, that ain't going to work. No, he's saying it's okay to tell me that you're, that you're afraid, but take the peace that I give you in the midst of fear. Take the, take the power, love, and self-control that I give you, the clear thinking, and remember that I'll be with you always. So fear is real, but it doesn't have to control us. The disciples were all afraid. The gospels tell us that they ran. Mark tells us that, that they run out of their clothes. They're fearful that they're arresting Jesus and they're going to go with him. And, and, and let me tell you something. If it's Jesus and 11 other guys, because Judas isn't with him at this time, you think, man, I've seen Jesus do some crazy things and there's 11 of us. Peter's got the mentality, we can take a few people. If 500 Roman soldiers show up, you're taking no one. Real fear has showed up in their lives, in their response to it. And this moment is to run. And they run. It says they all fled. 
Peter might have showed a moment of, of, hey, we got to do something. And when Jesus tells him, put the sword away, he's got nothing else. And he runs. And we find out that fear always creates distance from faith. If you allow fear to control you, it will always create a distance, a chasm between you and faith. Every one of the disciples ran. We allow fear to control us. It creates a distance between us and the trust God wants us to have. Here's what we know. Fear breeds fear and faith breeds faith. You can't get more faith by getting more fearful. So the disciples decide in the moment, we're leaving. We can't do this. So I want to ask you, what's occupying your thoughts in this season? What's occupying your thoughts? Are you, are you watching the news every second of every day? Do you have the news channel on and everybody's dying, everybody's dying. And it's all bad news, all bad news, all bad news. Are, are you caught up or do you feel the anxiety level rising in your, in your gut? Do you feel the fear coming on? What's controlling your thoughts? Because this is, this is extremely important. Because what comes in is what comes out. What's occupying your thoughts in this season is fear distancing you from your help. Has fear crippled your ability to trust? Now here's what we find out in John's account of the arrest. Here's what we find out. That none of the other gospels tell us. Matthew, Mark, and Luke don't tell us this. But John puts this in, a, in his account. John 18, 8 through 9. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. You know what I, you know what I realized about that? Jesus went to the garden of Gethsemane knowing he would be able to save the 11 that were with him. He said it was to fulfill what has already been spoken that, that he wouldn't lose one of them. So Jesus comes into the garden knowing now listen to what he says. When, when Peter whips out, his, whips out his dagger and cuts off the guy's ear, Jesus said, don't you think I could call 12 legions of angels to come down and rescue me? Don't you realize I could do that? But I have to do this. But what they don't understand is that he would do whatever it took to protect them because he was fulfilling prophecy. So in John's account, he says, Hey, who'd you come for? And they said, we came for Jesus. Judas kisses him. He asked them the second time, who did you come for? And they said, we came for Jesus. I, I told you, I'm the man. Let these guys go. Can I make an argument here? There wasn't even any reason to run. They were running from the only one that could protect them. They were running from the only, you don't think that 500 Roman soldiers couldn't have chased them down? You don't, you don't think that, that, that they couldn't have, have mustered a lot more men and said, no, we're going to arrest all the rest of them. And you, there's no way they would have gotten away. They were actually running from the only one that could save them. So when fear controls our lives, it dis puts distance between us and the one who's trying to rescue us. Fear, when we let fear control us, it's putting distance between us. We are running in the opposite direction from where our help comes from. 
So Jesus tells them, hey, who'd you come for? They said, you. He says, leave the rest of them alone. John says he said this on pur- He did this on purpose. He was fully prepared. Listen to this. He was fully prepared in the garden to lay his life down for them. It didn't even, he wasn't even waiting until the cross. Yes, he would go to the cross, but he would say, listen, I'm the substitute for them even now. I'm the one you want. I'm the one that's going to take the punishment. I'm the one that's going to be arrested. Let the rest of them go. So I want to tell you this morning, church, if you're running away from faith, you're running away from your help. If you're running away from Jesus, you're running away from the only one that can rescue you. If you're running away from from your maker, if you're running away from your creator, he's the only one that can rescue you in these circumstances. There was nothing they could do on their own. It didn't matter if all 11 of them had knives. It didn't matter if all 11 of them had guns. It did not matter. They would not escape except for Jesus. And they were running away from the very one that had solidified their safety. Don't do that today. Don't be controlled by fear. Allow the spirit of God to help you control that. This is what is so important. Can I, can I tell you this? The thing that is so important is that you have to know God's word. Now we have connect groups that they'll, they'll be launching back up at the beginning of May. We, 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 we stay in God's word on Sunday morning. We encourage you over and over again. Start a Bible app reading program. I, I use a thing called Bible Gateway and I, I read it. And you go, just go through scripture because here's what, here's what happens. You have to have something to revert to. If all you hear is fear and death and doom and catastrophe, you have to already have plugged in. You have to know what God says about your circumstance. You have to know already what God says about what you're experiencing. And, he, and it's helpful, it's life-changing to know that God would never leave me. It's life-changing to know that nothing can separate me from his love. It's life-changing to know there's enough grace to cover it. It's life-changing to know the word of God. So I encourage you. I know we're glued to the TV. I know we're listening. We're trying to figure out what's happening. We're trying to, we're trying to negotiate and, and navigate all this craziness in the time. If we, why don't you take a couple moments every day, maybe 10 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. Take a couple moments every day and open up God's word, whether it's in a book or whether it's on your phone, whatever, put it in your headphones and let the peace of God that comes through his reassuring word enter your heart and mind. And so that way, when fear does come, the spirit of God has something to work with in you. And he can bring that scripture back to memory. And he can say, no, no, no. God did not just want me to be controlled by a spirit of fear, but he's given me power through his Holy Spirit. He's given me love, kindness. He's given me a sound mind to be able to remember that he is in control and he's for me and with me. And just like the disciples, he's the only one that can save me. It's important. It's so, it's more important at this time than it's ever been to make sure you're in God's word, to make sure you know what he's saying about your circumstance. 
I was thinking, preparing this, we have, uh, we have roadside assistance on our vehicle. And uh, through our insurance carrier, we have roadside assistance. My daughter called me one time. Uh, she was interning in Pittsburgh and she was on uh, whatever, 79 or whatever interstate going uh, to Pittsburgh. And she hit a rock, got a flat tire. And, and she said, um, hey, can you, can you tell me how to change the tire? And I'm like, where are you? She said, I'm on the side of the interstate. And I said, I said, do you, what side? Now this is, this is me thinking. What side of the car is the tire flat on? And she said, it's, it's flat on the interstate side of the car. To which I, I, I think I remember thinking, you must be crazy if I'm going to let you change a tire on the interstate side of the car on a busy interstate and rush hour traffic in the morning. That's nuts. So what I told her was, our insurance company has roadside assistance. It just hit me. It just hit me that our insurance company, that we already paid for, that we had already paid for and never used. Our insurance company provided roadside assistance. All you had to do was call a 1-800 number, get them on the phone and say, I got a flat tire on this interstate at this spot. Come and get me. Now, that doesn't mean they're going to be there in 15 minutes, but they will come and get you. Now, listen, some of us in the midst of fear are trying to change our own tire on the side of the interstate and you don't even realize there's a number to call and you've all, it's already been paid for. The service, the peace of God that passes all understanding has already been paid for. It's already been established. It's already been provided. And we are at times out on the side of the road changing our own tire because we forgot we had access to it. We forgot it was available to us. We let fear control us and we, we, we stopped remembering that, wait a second, Jesus went to the cross and died so I didn't need to be controlled by fear. So I didn't need to run. I didn't need to run. He was the one that was going to save me the whole, I didn't need to run. Fear always creates distance from faith. You know what I realized? Jesus never told the disciples to run. They're getting ready to arrest him this chaos and commotion. Judas kisses him. I mean, Jesus is saying, I am he and everybody's falling down. You can imagine there's lanterns and there's, there's swords and there's all kinds of chaos happening. Jesus never once looks at the disciples and say, you better get out of here. We're all dead. Never does he say that. But he does protect them. They had nothing to fear. Sure, it was a fearful situation, but they had access to something they didn't even realize they had access to. So I want to encourage you this morning. You've got roadside assistance in every situation of your life. It was paid for by the precious blood of Jesus. And all you have to do is cry out on his name and say, Lord, I am in over my head. I don't know which way to go. Fear is building up in my life and he will come. Amen. He will come. 
The Bible says that we can present all our cares. We can bring our petitions to him and the peace of God that passes all understanding will guard our heart and mind. He will come. I want to leave you with this though. Sometimes we talk about this context of fear and faith, but we leave out, we leave out the fact that there's grace when you have let fear control you. I believe there's a grace for running. I believe there's a grace for running. The beautiful thing about this whole story was the disciples running wasn't the end of the story. Now, now I know we've been in circumstances before where we ran and then we thought the story was over. God's done with me. I ran. I, I let fear control my life. I ran. I didn't, I didn't trust. I didn't obey. I didn't do what I, was, I should do. And I ran. And, and now it's all over. All, all 11 of those men that ran when Jesus was arrested spread the gospel after Jesus was resurrected. The story did not end with their running. The story, there wasn't a period at the end of the running. There was a comma. The story kept going. It wasn't they ran and they were cowards and Jesus just said, I don't need you on the team anymore. It wasn't that Jesus was like, like, hey, you ran from me. I can't trust you anymore. How, how, how are you going to do that? I'm, I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to bother with you. Now the Bible says that when he resurrects, he appears to the disciples first. The same people that ran from him in fear, the same people, the same, the same Peter that denied him three times. He shows up to them because there's grace for running today. Maybe, maybe you woke up this morning running from something. Maybe you, maybe you woke up this morning running from a difficult relationship or betrayal or difficult conversation or getting clean from an addiction. Maybe you, maybe you know you need to, faith is to take action and maybe admit to somebody something, but fear is overtaking you. The consequences may be too great and you've, you've been running from it. I want you to know this with everything that is in me today, God has not given up on you. God has not given up on you. You might be running as fast as you can run away from a difficult circumstance. You might be running as fast as you can away from a responsibility. You might be running as fast as you can away from a calling of God on your life. And you may think, man, there is no chance. God has not given up on you. God has not given up on you. He's not written you off. Matter of fact, all God is doing is waiting on you to quit running. He's just waiting on you to quit running. Reminds me of the story of the prodigal son and how he runs away from his father, takes his portion of the inheritance and runs away. And when he realized his circumstance, all he did was quit running and come back. And the Bible says that his father was waiting on him. Matter of fact, when he quit running and turned directions, the father ran to him. I want to let you know something this morning. God is just waiting on you to stop. 
God is just waiting on you to stop running. You don't just stop running. You're exhausted. You're tired. You've been running from this circumstance. You've been running from, from this difficult thing. You've been running from, from getting help. You've been running and running and running. And I can tell you are tired this morning. You are worn out. Your, the faith is gone. The fear is controlling. And all God is asking you to do in this moment is to just stop running. Just stop. Don't take another step. Don't, don't run another second. Don't, don't waste any more energy. Just stop running. Just stop running. I believe in this whole circumstance, God put me in front of you today to tell you to stop running. You've, you've, you've created distance between you and God. And he sent me here today to tell you the Savior is here. He's here to forgive you. He's waiting to prove that faith works in your life over fear. He's, he's willing to, the Bible says nothing can separate you from his love. You can't run far enough for him to stop loving you. All you have to do is stop running and he will run to you. Amen. The band's going to come up. I want to read. You say, how, how do you know he's going to forgive me? You don't know what I've done. You don't know, even know why I've been running. How do you know he can even forgive something like that? How do you know you don't even know what I've done over the past five years? You don't, you don't know how I've treated people. You don't know, you don't, like what I've done can't be forgiven. I just have to keep running because there is no forgiveness for what I've done. I want to read something to you at the crucifixion of Jesus. Luke chapter 23, starting verse 32. Jesus is being crucified between two criminals. Picture this, a son of God hanging on a cross between two criminals. One of them is mocking him. How insulting must it have been? The God of all creation that John says, by him all things are created and without him nothing was created, is hanging on a cross and having his own creation mock him beside him. Jesus knowing that the reason he was going to the cross was to give people like that man the opportunity of salvation. Luke records this, two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right, one on his left. Verse 34 is one of the most powerful scriptures in the whole Bible. It says, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Jesus is hanging on a cross, forgiving the people crucifying him. Luke records it. Father, forgive them. They don't even know, they don't understand what they're doing. The grace that filled the savior of the world in that moment is enough grace to forgive you running. Say, so how do you know he's going to forgive me? If he could forgive the people killing him, he can forgive you running. Whatever, whatever the fear is that's caused you to run, whatever, whatever the circumstances that's caused you to run, 
He can forgive. Trust me on this. He can forgive you. The Bible says that if you're faithful to confess, that he is faithful and just to forgive you of those same sins. So my word to you this morning is don't run another step. Don't run another step. You're running away from the one that can save you. You're running away from the one that secured your salvation. You're running away from the one that can make sure that you're all right. You're running away from the one that can give you faith. You're running away from the one that has secured your freedom. And all he's saying this morning is stop running. Don't run any farther. Come on, you're tired. It's not working. You're exhausted. It's hurting relationships. It's hurting your family. Stop running. There's a grace for running. And he wants to give it to you. Right? He said, but I've run so long. It doesn't matter. There's a grace for it this morning. And he wants to pour that grace out on you right now. Even sitting in your living room, even watching wherever you are today. He wants to pour that grace out on you. And the spirit of God is everywhere. You can't run from it. You can't. You can't be somewhere that he can't get to you. Just stop right now where you're at. Say, Lord, come on, wherever you are right now, if you've been running, just stop, close your eyes and just say, Lord, I'm tired. I'm tired of running and I need your grace today. I'm tired of being controlled by fear. I'm tired of running from every circumstance. Lord, I need the power and love that that you can give. I need the power, love, and a sound mind that your spirit can give me. But first, I need your forgiveness, Lord. First, Lord, I need you to make me whole. I need you to rescue me. I need you to save me today, Lord. I confess my sins to you. I'm not running another step, Lord. You are my strength. You're my power. You're my source, God. You're my savior. And I'm not running any farther. Forgive me. Come on, could you just say that to him this morning? And everywhere that you're tuned in today, he is with you. He is with you. He's in that room with you right now. Forgiving you, setting you free, making sure you understand that you don't have to be controlled by fear. One more second. That the spirit of God is with you and in you and for you every moment. And there is a grace surrounding you today and making you whole. Lord, we thank you for it. God, we proclaim forgiveness today. We proclaim freedom today. We proclaim strength today in your name and in your spirit, Lord. Fill us. Fill us with your grace today, Lord. And give us the power to trust you, Lord. Even when fear comes, let us be controlled by faith today. We thank you, Lord. We give you praise and honor. Lord, and we lift you up and we give you praise for every decision that was made this morning to stop running and start trusting you. Thank you for your goodness today. And we give you all the praise and the honor. It's in Jesus' mighty name we pray. Come on, church, all over the place. Come on, could you give it praise and honor today is good? Hey, listen, we're so excited that we were able to be with you this morning, that the church was still able to be together. I want to encourage you. 
Stay strong. Let faith control you. Even when there's fear in the room, let faith control you. And we will back, be back here next week. And we are looking forward to the day, hopefully soon, where we can gather together in this place and lift up a mighty praise to Him. We'll see you next week.